0: many of you identify with that? We have boxes in our life. We're full of expectations and things. Well, that's what this series is about. We're rediscovering. When you rediscover something, it's something that you've already known and maybe you got so used to it that you kind of got a little bit off track on what you believe. And so we have to rediscover what the true meaning is. Well, today we're going to talk about rediscovering healing. Now, a few years ago, I had this medical condition, and it wasn't serious, but it had been going on for months. And, you know, I got a little concerned, a little bothered by it. And finally, Helene, a friend of mine, and my husband said, you know, you need to go to the doctor. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the doctor. It'll go away. It'll go away. It'll be fine. And so they kept bugging me, and finally I said, okay, I'll tell you what. If it doesn't get better by tomorrow, I'll call the doctor. Because after six months of not getting better, it will get better overnight, Well, the next morning, I got up, and it didn't get better. And I had promised them I would call the doctor, so I kept my word, and I called. And when I called, and I was telling the nurse the symptoms, she said, oh, you need to go to emergency right away. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go to emergency right away. I got too much stuff to, you know, right? Do we all, we have too much stuff to do. So what I did is I said, okay, well, yeah, I'll come in. And then I had this dilemma, because I told my husband that I would tell him what the doctor said, but I knew if I told him what the doctor said, I'd be going to the doctor up to emergency and I didn't want to go. So I did what every good wife does, and I remembered that my husband doesn't text. So I took my phone out and I texted. I called the doctor. He said, I need to go to emergency. And then I put the phone away, I sent it, and I put the phone away. Because here's my reasoning. It was when I got home and Tom said to me, Did you call the doctor? And I would have said yes. Did you not get my text? But the problem was, he checked his text that day. (laughs) And I was hiding out in Pastor Lynn's office because I didn't want to go to the doctor. And he came up looking for me. And then I ended up going to emergency. Ended up getting a blood transfusion and a scolding and told that I need to have surgery. And I'm like, all right, so when do I have to do this? So they said, well, what about this date? And it was in October. I said, oh, I can't do it then. We have the pumpkin party. And the doctor looks at me and says, okay, what about this date? I go, oh, but, you know, we're getting into Christmas season. You know, can can we do it another time? And finally I got really scolded, and I was told I need to do the surgery. And so I did and everything. It was fine then. It's finer now, I guess. But how many of you have been like that? You know, maybe not as drastic, but like me, you try to take control of your healing. Have you tried to manipulate and maneuver things so that maybe they would work out to your advantage and in your favor? It could be an emotional turmoil, and you want to dictate when and how you will feel or express your emotions, if at all. It could be physical. Maybe a test didn't come back the way you wanted it to. So you're praying, and you're hoping that God will see it your way and heal you in the way that you want, and, of course, in your timing. Or maybe you have a spiritual, relational, or mental upheaval, and you think you know exactly how and when the healing should happen. See, we all have these moments, those situations, where we're forced to revisit what we think about healing. And we come face-to-face with our desires and God's promises. And we find that we need to rediscover healing. Now, if you were here last week, Pastor Sheldon shared about rediscovering hope. And he came out of the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Well, the thing about the Word of God, it's living, it's active. And it is applicable to every situation. So today, we're going to go back to the story... Of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and we're going to continue to mind truths from that. Now, the Apostle John, who wrote this account, was, of, uh, uh, was close to Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was one of his disciples that was called to be with him. So when he gives us this vivid account of Jesus' response to an imminent need, it was something that he saw face-to-face. It wasn't something that he heard from a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. He actually witnessed this account. And so what he does is he writes from first-person experience what happened. And he starts, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. See, what he did here was he's telling us, okay, I want you to know exactly who this family is. See, Mary Mary had had a previous encounter with Jesus, and he'd forgiven her of some sins. And she was so grateful that when he came to town another time, and she heard that he was at this Pharisee's house, she went into the house, and she washed his feet, and she dried it with her hair. And John's telling us, this is the Mary it is. And he knows that this is one of those stories that's going to make you go, oh, her. Now he's got our attention. We know exactly who he's talking about. And so he continues. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, let's be serious. When they sent the message to Jesus, it wasn't one of those informative, oh, by the way, Lazarus is sick. See, I believe that they had expectations. They expected Jesus to come back and heal Lazarus. Their family was friends with Jesus. There was history between them. When we read through the Bible, we hear stories, and they're involved. Another um, well-known story, Jesus is at their house for dinner. That's how close they are. And Martha's bustling around, and she's getting everything ready for this dinner, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. And Martha gets all upset and says, come on, You're not going to tell her to help me out? And then Jesus says to her, Martha, there's only two things needed, and Mary has chosen the better of the two. See, there's history between them. They knew Jesus well, and they recognize that Jesus has affection for them. And so they send a message. The one you love is sick. And I can almost hear them, what are you going to do about this? He's your friend. He needs you. You love him. Of course you're going to heal him. Now, I have a confession to make. There are some times that I've shared this attitude. I'm not proud of it. I've asked God to heal people, and I've wanted them to do what I wanted, and I wanted them to do it the way I wanted it, and I wanted them to do it now. The first time was when my father-in-law was ill, and I wanted God to heal him. Another time when my mother had a heart attack, and just recently when my, one of my kids had a third miscarriage. And I felt this thing rise up inside of me. And it's really ugly, but it's one of those, come on. I serve you. My family serves you. You can't do this for us. And I bet you that's how Mary and Martha felt. And if I'm honest, and we're all honest, we all battle with that. We all kind of have that tinge that comes up, that entitlement of, this is what I'm doing for you, God. What are you going to do for me? But Jesus doesn't return favors. And Jesus didn't respond the way that Mary and Martha expected. So the messenger informs Jesus that Lazarus is ill. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, I don't think that was the response that Mary and Martha expected. I believe that they expected Jesus to make a beeline to their home and to heal their brother. Because when they sent the message, their preface was, The one you love. A couple of years ago, I was on Facebook. And I started seeing posts from my different cousins and family in Honolulu, and it sounded like my auntie, who I was close to, was ready to go home to Jesus. So that night, I called my brother. I said, hey, what's up with Auntie Babs? And so he tells me, and then I put the phone down, and I called my cousin right away because there's too late to get any fights out, and I called her, and she put the phone by my auntie's ear so I could talk to her. See, isn't that our response? When we hear that someone's ill, or need something, right away, we try to connect. Right away, we want to let them know that we care, that we're there for them. We want to speak to them. How many of us would wait two days? But that's what Jesus did. He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? See, for the disciples, when Jesus decided to stay those extra two days, it, was, it made sense. It was logical. Why would he go back to the town that just tried to kill him? But Jesus' response to a situation often defies logic. And so he went back. And Jesus answered them, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. The disciples didn't understand why he would return. They didn't understand what he was doing, and they didn't understand his involvement. And sometimes we don't understand what God is doing. It's going to be beyond our comprehension, but he always has a purpose, and his purpose is always greater than we expect. So Thomas also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died point blank. Martha lets Jesus know, this is what I expected and you let me down. You didn't come and you didn't do something. I expected that. And sometimes, just like Martha, we're going to be disappointed when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. But she continued, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. See, in the face of impossible odds, she's still hoping that Jesus will do something. And some of us are there right now. We're looking at impossible odds. And we're hoping beyond hope that God is going to come through. You know why? It's because we know his power. We know his promises. So Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew his greater plan. He didn't give Martha the whole picture. He gave her just enough. And then he says to her, Do you believe? Even though I'm only showing you this much of the picture, do you still trust me? See, like Martha, we're not always going to have a full picture. We're not always going to understand. And Jesus says to us, even though this is all you see, even though it may not be clear, can you still trust my power? Do you still believe that I'm capable? And Martha answers Jesus, uh, Jesus, and she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come to the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her Notice how quickly she got, up, she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now Mary, just like Martha, is stating, I had an expectation and you didn't meet it. Have you ever wrestled with those emotions? You know what Jesus can do. You know he is Lord. But you feel let down because he's not doing what you want when you want it. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Jesus understands our pain. He understands our weakness and he lands, understands our lack of understanding. He's not far from us. He's not standoffish. He weeps with us. But even as Jesus is weeping, there's still a demanding and entitled attitude going on because the people said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? See, they had no idea (coughs) that Jesus had something bigger than preventing Lazarus' death in mind. He's going to reveal his power over sickness and death. Jesus is not only the one who brings healing, he is healing. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time, there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, Mary and Martha may have had expectations on Jesus when they originally sent him a message that their brother Lazarus was ill. But Jesus responded in a way that caused them to revisit their expectations and to revisit what they thought about healing. Jesus' purpose for Lazarus to experience healing, but it wasn't going to be as Mary and Martha expected it. Jesus won't always meet our expectations. He doesn't have to. He's God. We're not. And we're entitled to our expectations, but we're not entitled to have our expectations met. So today, we're going to learn three ways we can adjust our expectations so that we can rediscover healing. And if you're taking notes, the first one is, know the difference between expectation and entitlement. The expectation is defined as to anticipate or look forward to the oncoming or occurrence of. We're expecting it. We're looking forward to it. I'm anticipating but entitlement is defined as a belief that one is deserving of an ent- or entitled to a certain privilege. See, when I pray with expectation, I'm looking forward to and anticipating receiving the promises of God. And I understand that though I'm praying and I'm hoping that God will answer my prayer in the way that I want, it's not up to me. I do not have the right to presume that God's going to do what I asked him to. So I pray with his expectancy, but I admit I submit my will to the will of God and to his greater plan. One day, a man had leprosy approached Jesus, and he was hoping for healing. Matthew writes: When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, If you are willing, you can make me clean. See, this leper understood that though healing was his desire, being made whole was what he wanted. Ultimately, this was Jesus' decision. And though it was something Jesus could do, it was up to Jesus to say yes or no. And the Bible continues, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Another time a woman came and she'd been ill for a very long time. And she thought, if I just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And so she reached out to touch him, expecting to be healed. Now when she touched him, she didn't say,